listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking, or at least I think it's Isaac. Whoever it is is hiding their face behind a big bouquet of flowers. (laughs) But also... Joining us this week as a guest host, she is a fancy big city lawyer, she is a Rahu member, and she is a first name connoisseur like Cher or Ash Nico. It's Lauren! Thanks for coming on the show, Lauren. Thank you for having me. I have a question up top. We've got you on for a relatively specific reason coming up a bit later. There was a massive climate win, we want to talk to an expert about that, but... I was looking over the show notes this week and also a lot of other weeks and I just figured, wanted to ask you straight up, when we say horrible defamatory things about people, is it a legal defence to just scream that we are a comedy podcast doing satire? So, interestingly, the legislation doesn't reference comedy podcasts um, <laughs> specifically. Bit of an oversight. Um, yeah, look, no, I don't think it's a defence. Sorry, guys. Well- Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good I Enough. I told you guys saying allegedly and having a prayer circle wouldn't do it. <laughs> I think you just you just need to cry bankruptcy. <laughs> what? What does yelling bankruptcy do? Because I could conceivably get away with that pretty easily. <laughs> <laughs> no, we have to take a boat out into the middle of the ocean and declare international waters. <laughs> <laughs> we podcasted on international waters, so there's no defamation out here. <laughs> <laughs> Does that also mean, though, that we need to get all of our listeners on a cruise ship to listen to it in international waters? Uh, I don't know the particulars. Like, I mean, we could probably Hold do on. some Are research. Are we just admitting to, like, violating lockdown now? That's even worse, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not in international waters. Once you get out there, it's too late. You can't international waters within a five-kilometre radius. <laughs> <laughs> what possible problem could you have with this? We're on a cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're also back in lockdown. Uh, lockdown derangement's really back. Oh, no. <laughs> Within two days. It's not, it's, not, it's not the best. Lauren, how's your lockdown going? Uh, well, while you were just talking, I thought, actually, I'm, do- I'm doing okay. But I remembered that last night I started crying watching a Vince Vaughn movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, I think that I'm actually okay. Ups and down. <laughs> was it Jurassic Park 2? No, it was some awful, I can't even remember, it was something about like couples going to some couple island. It was, it was like couple genuinely island. terrible. <laughs> but, you know, it broke the dam, so. Oh. <laughs> yeah, how are you guys? <laughs> yeah, I decided to hop back on Skype to watch uh, the footy yesterday and I was feeling really gung-ho because North Melbourne was supposed to be playing St Kilda and St Kilda aren't very good and it was just shit house. And it just took me back to last year of just like sitting trapped in your couch during winter watching football with no crowds and just being like, wow, this sucks so bad. <laughs> Everything about it is just horrible. Yeah. My my life hasn't changed much, but it just hits different, you know? <laughs> That's where I'm coming from as well. <laughs> Sitting here watching esports with no crowds remotely like you usually do. <laughs> so 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 Mitch, what was that big bouquet of flowers gag from before? What's that in reference to? That out. So so, recurring character Ben Robert Smith is... Friend of the pod. Friend of the pod, <laughs> Robert Smith, is... Uh, <laughs> this is just insane. It is. Ju- it has sent me, not jokerified, but just like giddy like a child again for some reason, because it's just so intensely insane. He is currently in uh, defamation proceedings that he has brought, keep in mind, he's not being sued for defamation, he's suing uh, news agencies for defamation. The same as <laughs> <in> Warcraft. <laughs> and this week, he rocked up to the house of his own character witness and hid his face behind a big bouquet of flowers when he knocked on her door. So he could just talk to her, just have a chat. He just wanted to come and apologise for not reaching out to this character witness before it was announced that she was going to be a character witness because he just announced that it was going to be a character witness before he even approached her. And this character witness is the former Governor General Dame Quinton Bryce. It's just, it's honestly like he's a terrifying man. He's very dumb, but also terrifying. And yeah. it's not even. He's allegedly. It's not even fucking horrifying. It's not even the 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 only thing he's like done this week. So like five days ago, <laughs> five days ago he was cited for destroying vital evidence 
despite being told not to do it by his legal team, he wiped a laptop that contained quote-unquote national security secrets <laughs> despite specifically being formally requested not to because it may contain evidence for the defamation trial. I really love that he was formally requested not to as well. Like, okay, Ben Robert Smith, <laughs> don't destroy the evidence, okay, mate? <laughs> He's just like doing a big winking nod. Uh-huh. <laughs> Of course, that would be illegal. Lauren, can I ask, have you ever been in a situation where you've had to give extremely basic advice like shut up and stop talking? Yeah, like, of course, because human beings, like, maybe this doesn't work so much for the friend of the pod, Ben, but, like, (laughs) human beings have a natural inclination to, like, get apologetic and flustered and stuff when they're under stress. The level of control that he seems to need to have over everything is like, when you said it was terrifying, I think you're right. Like to go to the character, like that's insane. Yeah. It's his own character witness. Yeah. Just to check in. Like what? With with his face hidden, then he just (laughs) pops out from behind. Surprise. It's Ben Robert Smith. You think I'm a good guy, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, yeah, he either thinks that he thinks he can go to someone who is his character witness and like butter them up to get, better responses from the court and to get even better testimony from them or he just sort of thinks that like if they're a witness I don't know maybe you accidentally allegedly like threaten them you just rock up and you just talk to them because what what you do is you talk to witnesses before a case right that's what that's just how he operates (laughs) the the thing with like Ben Robert Smith though like it's not just like wiping his laptop of course like if I'd already (laughs) been in trouble for like threatening my ex-wife with being sued if she testified against me in this very trial, if I was hiding USBs containing photos allegedly of war crimes, I'd, I'd probably not be doing any of this. But I'm built different, though, so. I, I think <laughs> oh, this this just reminds me of something compl- like related to Ben Robert Smith, but I found out about it the last time there was hilarious Ben Robert Smith news. Um, someone pointed out that at the Australian War Memorial, there is a painting of Ben Robert Smith purely <laughs> getting into the mindset of shooting and it's just a giant mural that is across one wall of the War Memorial and it's just him pointing with his fingers. Oh, mm. with his like thumbs up and he's like, Looking down some imaginary sight. Yeah, it's like yeah. his gun hasn't loaded in. If there was a person over there, this is the pose that I would strike to kill them. Yes, like. that, and that is quite literally the description Fine. of the imp- inspiration for the painting as well. Like, there's like a thing online for on the Australian War Memorial website about this painting where he's like he got into the mindset of imagining that he's shooting people while he posed to the photo. <laughs> it is deranged. <laughs> the thing- I've got to say that now that the press has finally stopped describing him as Australia's top war hero, sort of before launching into who's accused of doing some incredibly horrifying things and then is now sort of like cartoonishly like sort of bumbling around destroying evidence and intimidating witnesses and stuff, like... I kind of miss that they're calling him Australia's top war hero because that's now quite funny. But it's amazing to see, like, the point at which someone switched off the consent manufacturing machine because it'd been running so hard for so long that we'd all stopped noticing it. And then you look around and you go, hang on a second, look at all this consent they manufactured. <laughs> this is the thing, though, I worry about, like, like Kerry Stokes and, like, Channel 7 have been, like, sort of bankrolling him for a long time. Um, but at what point... Do they decide that he's a liability and decide, okay, well, buddy, you're on your own for this one? <laughs> like, will they ever decide that? <laughs> Certainly by now, right? Yeah. <laughs> by now. Or is he just really confident? But that, that's what I mean about like when you just when somebody's a war hero, right? It meant that while they were over there, they did the murders the best, right? Like, <laughs> and and now that Allegedly. people are like. That, that, I mean, like, even even before they were like, oh, he did some murders that he shouldn't have done. Like He, he did the good murders really well. He did a bunch mm. of killings while he was there because he's a soldier in a war zone. And we were like, yeah, bro, nice <laughs> one with those killings. That was fucking sick, mate. And he was like, yeah, I'm good at killing. And we're like, fuck yeah, you are Australia's <laughs> top war hero. Love that killing. And he's like, yeah, I do love that killing. And we're like... Hmm. 
should, should we turn that down? No, don't turn it down. I'm Australia's top war hero and I'm the best at it. Well, I, uh, Look at this bit I brought back from a guy I killed. Sick ass. Look at these cool photos I keep on the USB stick. No, 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 Ben Roberts. <laughs> well, something my partner Chris pointed out that I haven't been able to get out of my head since last night was uh, like... When it gets to this rocking up to the former Governor General's house, hiding your face behind a big bouquet of flowers, it really feels like the third act in a Martin Scorsese film. You know, that like that last half hour where men are drenching expensive suits in sweat and it's just the, the, like tight shots of these super stressed faces. He's just, he, it's insane. What he is doing is insane. And I, for one, am so excited to see what happens in the next few weeks. In this defamation yeah. suit that he has brought up himself. I, I, <sighs> the last act of a Martin Scorsese film slash I'm excited to see how this pans out in real life. I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm allegedly excited to see how well this ends. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. That's the loose comedy stuff up the top. <laughs> oh, it's so weird that Ben Robert Smith went from like, oh, boy, here's some like real fuck stuff. He's a, like he's a cartoon now. He's a cartoon villain. Yeah. The next thing will be him, like, tiptoeing under a large bush behind ABC journalists, and they turn around and he drops down. And then they turn back around and keep walking down the street, and he's going to pop up again. It's insane. Yeah, but then he pops out of the bush and slits some throats. (laughs) (laughs) And we give him a medal. Boy, hero. Hey, Lauren, how are you feeling about the content? So, some big news this week for the central part of our podcast, which is talking about how much we keep screaming about climate change. (laughs) You might remember, we're a climate change podcast. (laughs) (laughs) The Federal Court of Australia has found that the Environment Minister, Susan Lee, has a duty of care to protect young people from the climate crisis in a judgment hailed by lawyers and teenagers who brought the case as a world first. So eight teenagers and an octogenarian nun had sought an injunction to prevent Lay (laughs) approving a proposal by Whitehaven Coal to expand the Vickery Coal Mine in northern New South Wales. So their argument was basically that the minister had a common law duty of care to protect younger people against future harm from climate change. So Mm. saying it's like a climate change Court cases simplifying it quite a bit. There's lots of moving parts in here. Um, so, Lauren, yes, would you like to talk to us about this judgment being kind of not as legal nerds as much as we would like? I'd say you're a legal nerd <laughs> in a good way. Thank you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> nerd. But <laughs> don't get me started on you, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> Roll for initiative. <laughs> It's a really beautiful judgment. It's um, it's fucking long. So unless you've got heaps of time, I don't recommend anybody sitting there reading the whole thing. But it's it's pretty extraordinary. It is a climate change judgment, but it also doesn't do everything that the young people wanted it to do, which is halt the um, inevitable progress of climate change. Or- no, <laughs> like kind of. Yeah, it's I, it is a big win for the applicants, but they asked for heaps of stuff and they got a little bit of it. So I don't want to dampen anyone's enthusiasm, but I think I'm going to. Yeah, we're a comedy <laughs> podcast and that's kind of what we're here for. <laughs> to dampen enthusiasm. <laughs> so basically the kids asked for a duty of care to be recognised, like a new duty that's never been brought before in Australian law. Initially, they wanted it brought to all the children around the world to say that the Australian Environment Minister had this duty to every person born after the date the application was made, but they ended up narrowing it just to Australian children. Which is fair. Well, yeah, it is, I guess, easier to directly link decisions made by the Australian... Anyway, um, we can get to that. But but they they really went, like, super broad with everything that they were saying was a potential risk or a foreseeable risk that the minister could control the outcome of. So they were talking about stuff like heat waves and bushfires and coastal flooding and those sorts of things, but also stuff like broader impacts on ecosystems, food insecurity and consequent conflicts, like interpersonal and intergovernmental conflicts, mm-hmm. impact on global economies. Mental health was a big one, I noticed yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, they just went for it. It's it's huge. It's amazing. I mean, in a way, it's good that they went super broad. It's like any sort of negotiation deal. Like you shoot for the moon and then you get like even part of what you get. That's still a win. Yeah. And I guess it also then gave the opportunity for the court to call evidence on all of that. And a lot of the climate change related evidence was unchallenged by the minister. So now there is a basis if people want to use that evidence for other court actions 
there's sort of accepted evidence about, you know, warming to a four degree Celsius future world and, um, and the direct links between that and bushfires and the direct links between that and then health issues and, and so on and so forth. That's so good. Yeah. So I, you know, even if it fell over at some points, why not? Like it's all out in the open now. But the second thing that the kids were seeking was an injunction, which would restrain the minister from actually approving this extension of the coal mine on the basis that it would be a breach of the duty that they were asking the court to find. So um, the court dismissed the application for the injunction, but um, upheld this duty of care. So the court have said specifically in relation to personal injury and more narrowly, particularly in relation to things like bushfires and heat waves, the minister has um, a duty to take reasonable care to avoid that particular kind of injury to children when deciding about these particular kinds of environmental projects. So environmental projects with sort of big national impacts or international impacts, anything that the minister would have to sign off on, basically. Mm. Mm. So then how come, like, what? why is this legally a win and being described as such, even though they didn't get the injunction on something that actually seems pretty intense? Because my worry looking at this is um, that the reporting on it is that the expansion could lead to an extra 100 million tonnes of CO2, about 20% of Australia's annual climate footprint, being released into the atmosphere. And the judge didn't grant the injunction um, because he Mm. had not been satisfied that a reasonable apprehension of breach of the duty of care by the minister has been established. So, I guess, twofold question, why is this good? And what will stop the government from just using this sort of excuse every time, or the courts using this excuse, being like, yeah, you got a duty of care. Ah, not in this instance, though. It's all good. Yeah, there's no evidence that this coal plant will drive climate change, so it's okay. Yeah. Is that basically the sort of way that that shakes out? No. So, Justice Brumberg, who heard the matter, ended up making the decision about the injunction based on sort of everything that had come before it in his reasoning and in the court case. So I might step back and talk about kind of the duty of care thing and then it might make a bit more sense. So the reason that it's so significant is to have a legally established duty of care really opens up all future sort of negligence and personal injury actions. And it's nice. a really, like, negligence is so fucking dry and boring. It is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> so the worst area of law. But it's so useful in terms of binding people to be responsible for um, the harm that they could cause to others, if, if that's what you're going for. So um, interestingly, it's used a lot for historical child sexual abuse cases in institutions mm-hmm. um, and that sort of thing. So it, it's the recognised duties of care are like, corrections officers to prisoners, teachers to students, those sorts of things, right? So it sort of then becomes just a natural part of your decision-making process that you have to think and act in accordance with not harming or causing injury to this other person or class of people. So to have a decision that says that the environment minister has to consider children and their health and safety, particularly in relation to illness, death, um, you know, really serious stuff, every time she makes a decision, that's that's massive. Yeah, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, we're, we're a common law country. So that means that a decision made in a higher court binds basically everybody. We can make law in, in parliament or we can make law in the courts. And in this instance, finding a novel duty of care is making law in the courts. And so if that duty of care decision isn't firstly appealed and secondly upheld at appeal, then it will stand. And then that means that every decision going forward, either the minister makes her decisions or their decisions if it, if she leaves um, in accordance with that duty of care or they're opening themselves up to urgent applications for injunctions if she does decide to act or, you know, negligence suits, all of that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's massive. That's why it's so big. So it doesn't really stop this particular coal plant. The injunction wasn't granted for, for that, but it does mean that future coal plant decisions could very easily just immediately hit be hit with negligence claims or, or injunctions on yes. the grounds that was sort of started in this judgment. Yes, exactly. And while it's specifically in relation to her decisions under um, two specific sections of the Environmental Protection, Biodiversity and Conservation Act, recognising kind of the the broadness of the duty of, you know, when we're talking about climate change and we're talking about you can't specifically say that this single piece of coal is going to tip the scale, but 
you know, on reasonable foreseeability or likelihood. So I think it could be used quite broadly in the future. Mm-hmm. But in terms of this particular plant, basically Justice Bromberg is kind of giving the minister an opportunity to reconsider her decision in light of his decision. So he says, um, and I'll just quote because I think it's quite interesting. He says that previously when the application had been brought, there was no established duty of care. But now to assess the prospect of her breaching that duty in terms of this particular expansion, he needs to assess what the minister's likely to do in the prevailing circumstances and not those that existed prior to the trial. So she has, and he says, a mountain of new information brought before her through this proceeding, which was otherwise not previously available to her. I love the fact that this implies that previously the minister did not see the need to care about children or the future, but now, (laughs) now that she knows she has to care about the safety of Australia's future, let's see how she goes. And it's like, what was (laughs) she doing before? Well, I sort of, I read this point yesterday and I had to reread it a couple of times and I thought you might be mortified by it, so I thought I'd bring it up. Um, (laughs) Cool. Well, there's a couple of different things that they have to kind of tick off to find that a duty of care exists. And one of them is that there's a coherence with this proposed duty and existing or relevant legislation, right? Mm. So in this case, it's this Environmental Protection Biodiversity Conservation Act. And so this established duty has to be sort of, it can't undermine it. Um and the minister says that the two were incoherent, right? That, mm-hmm. that- <laughs> if she's caring about the children, how can she do her job? <laughs> <laughs> but so, yep. um, Justice Bromberg says, it would be surprising for an incoherence to arise between a common law duty to take reasonable care for the lives of people and a statutory scheme that contemplates that you could use it to endanger people's lives. So, he's, say- <laughs> he's saying like... <laughs> it should it shouldn't be an issue for you that you consider the lives of these children um, <laughs> and so he said that actually the two were completely coherent and dismissed that part of her argument yeah, yeah. it's oh, the amazing thing of this to me is that it if anything it just kind of points at the elephant in the room that constantly the environment minister and everyone else in the cabinet seem to skirt around which is that climate change is bad and it will hurt us and your actions directly contribute to it, they kind of sidestep and they talk about jobs and they talk about negative emissions and targets and stuff. But this is seems to be really a case that's like, hey, let's talk about how this will affect the children and force them to talk about how this will affect the children and say, you are responsible for this. And this mm. is amazing to me because the only way you can pin these weasels down is by dragging them through a court case. Alleged weasels. <laughs> I'm ignoring it. <laughs> Susan Lee might be a human. We don't know. <laughs> um, could the actual finding that she has a duty of care be reversed with an appeal? Yes. Oh. Um, it's a bit early. Like, the judgment was only handed down last week, so it's a bit early yet to know if they will. But the minister could absolutely appeal the decision about the duty of care and the young people could appeal the decision about the injunction or they could appeal the scope of the decision of the duty of care if they wanted it found broader. Um, And the High Court can either grant leave or grant the appeal or find, you know, it could go anyway. And is that sort of a risk with those sort of things? Like if the kids go, we want to appeal because we actually want it to be broader or we want you to review the finding on this one mine expansion, could the next judge or the next court go, actually, no, that's, we're going to uphold what just happened and also reverse the duty of care clause because it's a risk that the whole thing can just be overturned? I mean, the the appellate court will only review what's put before them on a question of appeal. Right. If nobody wants to touch, for example, if nobody wants to touch the duty of care argument, if the minister says, fine, I accept it, and the young people say, fine, we accept the scope, and the only thing in contention is the injunction, then that's all the court will look at. <laughs> so, so Susan Lee has to go, no, I don't think I have a duty of care towards kids and has to appeal <laughs> that specifically. Um, she, she would have to, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, here's a tricky question because the, the cabinet is always being shuffled around and people are always being given different jobs and renamed and stuff like this. And this duty of care seems to apply to the Minister for Environment. Ooh. What mm-hmm. if we get rid of that position and make it the Minister for Land and Air or something? That's a really good question. Mm. 
<laughs> Lang's just invented a new loophole. Fuck. Yeah, good. Lang, don't cut this. Cut, this. cut it. Cut it. You keep doing that, Lang. You fucking keep doing that. <laughs> no, it's good. We, but we have to think about things like this. Thank you, Lang. No um, <laughs> I think, I think, and um, the other lawyers in the room, feel free to take me to task on this, but I think that would just end up being a matter of statutory interpretation, which is what happens right. when judges interpret. Sorry to tell you that. Like mm. you already know, but interpret legislation. So so it's specifically in relation to decisions relating to that act. So it's possible that a future court, if they did shift around the name of the minister, could interpret it to say that if you're the minister responsible for making decisions um, under sections 130 and 133 of the mm-hmm. EPVC Act, yeah, right. then you are the relevant minister. Um, yeah. In terms of the duty of care, the main features that are used to find it is the degree and nature of control that's exercised by the person over the risk of that harm and the degree of the vulnerability of the people who depend on, I guess, that that power being exercised properly and appropriately. So it might end up coming down to who is the person with the actual control over that decision-making. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. No, that that is that's good to know. And so then it kind of revolves around partly what happens to that act. And if you brought in a different act, presumably you'd have an easier time saying that this same duty of care applied to any environmental act that that did a similar job, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, take like the Crimes Act, for example. That's changed mm-hmm. and shifted a billion times since mm-hmm. it was brought in in 1958. But a lot of the common law principles, like the the judicial decision making, carries through. And it's found that if it's related to, you know, a particular state of mind or a particular construction of words or a particular kind of behaviour by an accused or whatever, even when the legislation's wording changes or um, maximum sentences change or things like that, it still applies. The principles still apply. So it's possible that that, you know, that would carry through. The one thing that I really enjoy about this judgment in particular, even though it obviously wasn't as, like, broadly successful as we would have hoped, um, is that Susan Lee is someone who constantly says that, like, she hates green tape and she hates mm. lawfare. <laughs> so it's always very satisfying to see that being used to, like, you know, hamstring her from, like, doing more of the kind of things that she's been known to do, which is, you know, green stamping, cutting down birthing trees or something like that. Oh, she's so the worst. It, it's actually really good when, like, the rest of the, like, you know, when the people sort of find a way to use that in order to stop her from doing these things. I've got a big grudge against Susan Lee, and I've got a big list here <laughs> of all the horrible things she's done. <laughs> Do it, hit um, it. <laughs> and and it, it basically boils down to she's been Minister for the Environment since, I think, like 2019. And so every bad thing that's happened since then to the environment has been under her watch. So you can pretty much blame her for, for that. Um, <laughs> and that's significant because the bushfires happened at the start of 2020, and a lot of, and, and of course, the environment has been especially fragile since then in Australia. And a lot of terrible decisions have been made after that, um, that have been like, oh, what's that koalas? You lost most of your habitat to bushfires. Fuck you. We need a big quarry. <laughs> My name's Susan Lee. Um, and so it's, it's nice that we've, we've got a way to really wedge her now. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to list a couple things. I'm just going to list a couple. Um, Listen, just for context. She- she cleared vital koala habitat to build that massive quarry, uh, even though they were in a really precarious position. Um, she signed off on 850 gas wells uh, <laughs> up near Narrabri for Santos um, before Santos had made a biodiversity plan, before they even decided where they wanted them, and before they even decided if they wanted them. Santos was like, we're thinking of making some gas wells. Still oh, you want on gas that. wells? You got a Go. thumbs up from me. I'm Susan Lee. Susan Lee's like, got it. You got it. However many you want, make it happen. Um, yeah, she was the one that greenlit bulldozing the uh, the Jabberong birthing trees uh, near near the highway in Victoria. She was like, great, go for it. I know they're important, bulldoze them, and got pushed back on that pretty hard. And her whole department has has generally been trying to stop scientists publishing papers that are critical of them. They've tried to, what was the act you just said before, Lauren, the EPBC? Mm-hmm. They've been trying to get that act this was a little while ago. They tried to push a push a thing through where that responsibility would fall on the states rather than on Susan Lee, which would presumably free her up to approve a lot more mines. She's the environment minister, but she is pro-Adani, 
doesn't reckon land clearing is really that big a deal to habitats. Uh, maybe weeds are worse than land clearing. Have we thought of that? <sighs> I do love the climate action in his, isn't in her portfolio for the environment yeah. minister. That rocks. <laughs> That's climate action is, is Angus Taylor's job, apparently. <laughs> and God, if we could find a way to give him duty of care of something, he'd explode. <laughs> That's a, climate action isn't my portfolio. That's Angus Taylor's job. And in his hands, I'm sure that we're all perfectly happy. <laughs> Couldn't even finish the sentence. Lauren, could this potentially be broadened to other ministers at the moment? Because like, Angus Taylor's portfolio, he's the Minister for Energy and Emissions Reduction. Could conceivably that go across from what you know about the Act and how it's used and whatnot? I mean, the specific sections of the Act are really, they only relate to like particular types of action. But the judgment did get me thinking that I, I wonder if applications will be brought that try and apply the duty to sort of not that specific narrow kind of decision making, but a bit broader. Basically, all the young people had to show was that there was a link between that decision, climate check, like global warming, literally, mm. and some risk to them. The risk between Global warming and the risk to them has already been established in the court. It'll just be about whether I think you can make that link between Angus Taylor or whoever it is is decision making and that global warming. So, like conceivably, yeah, yeah, like it's nice. a, it's a cool potential now. They're just like fuck. Maybe we can drag everyone else in. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. I mean, I don't have a lot on right now, Lauren. Uh, do you want to go to go to court and do a law thing? <laughs> <laughs> Let's yeah. talk offline. We don't want them to know our secrets. <laughs> Does it? So, we've been talking about young people a lot. How young do you have to be? Like, I mean, I, I you know, I'm, I'm 35. I'm like, I still feel like my life is going to be pretty severely impacted <laughs> by climate change. Uh, you know, I, I might be, might have been out of high school for a while, but am I, <laughs> would I be able to say, hey, this impacts my future? You have a duty of care to me? Or is it just sort of people that usually adults have a duty of care towards? It's just children, to? like 18 and under. Um, Damn it. And well, the reason being that the idea is by the time they're adults, the earth will have warmed to a point that's like completely fucked as opposed mm. to getting towards fucked as we are yeah. now. Yeah. It's just ki- it's kind <laughs> okay. of a kick of the can down the road, really. The courts haven't yet established that the government has a duty of care to its citizens, yeah. just to Does kids. It- <laughs> That's classic courts, though, to look at at the current state of things and be like, well, it's not fucked yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's- Sorry, Mitch, to be a little, like legal nerd, but there is kind of That's a common law duty-, <laughs> yeah. duty of care, like- the Commonwealth is does have a duty of care to its citizens. Like it does. Let's have, go court case. <laughs> well, it's just yeah, it's just that that's never been um, explored specifically in relation to climate change that I know of. But yeah. there's no reason you guys couldn't. I'll do it. That's actually okay. that. This yeah, brings that's- up a thing that's kind of annoyed me in like any sort of activism. To be fair, um, but. As as good as this is, like you know, the, the idea of um, getting that sort of duty of care to children, uh, what really frustrates me about a lot of progressive activism is really like realizing that they can m- really weaponize think of the children. Um, this happens a lot in like uh, refugee activism as well. Like it centers it purely on children when it's everyone involved that is harmed irreparably. Um, like you know, as you said, McLean, we're young by, I guess, our own standards, and we're definitely going to see irreversible (laughs) climate change. And and as as happy as I am to see, like, you know, school climate strikes and, you know, this particular case, I I think it would be a mistake to solely concentrate on the effect on children when it is – it's all of us happening right now. But, of course, it's not like anyone has really succeeded in getting that message across. So I'm not really sure what I'm mad about. It's mostly just me, like, being like, why is it always just, like, you know, think of the children? (laughs) Yeah. I I, I was learning about climate change and the the, the sort of think of the children angle when I was eight. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe that's not working. I don't think it's so much. I I think saying think of the children is not necessarily a bad thing. Like think of the refugee children. I think yeah, we're ignoring a lot of refugees who aren't young, cute kids. But I think in terms of it's a PR move partly. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and think of the children is an easy way to get people on board to trigger that empathy thing. And if the way, if the easiest way to get someone to care is to show them a cute kid who's in trouble, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, and this is in 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 ecology. 
in habitat protection, we call these umbrella species because they are the cute animals that you want to protect. But along the way, you're also protecting a lot of quite unattractive animals um, <laughs> because they're all in the same ecosystem. Is this why you can fundraise for bilbies, but you can't like fundraise for like molly grubs? <laughs> yeah. Well, partly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in order to protect the bilbies, you've got to protect the whole bilby habitat. So the bilbies are an umbrella species. If they're safe, that means everything that's tougher <laughs> or different than them is probably also safe. Okay, Big placards with dinner plate sized huntsmen on them being like, think of the biodiversity. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think of these ugly grubs. But I think, Evie, you, you've touched on something that, like, you know, I think it's just triggered a nerve from the last 12 months, though, is because on the other side of that equation, there is this pushback against, like, when Scott Morrison said that he had to think about the issues happening in, you know, Parliament with men being fucking sexual monsters by reference to his children, by reference to his daughters. And I think there is just this weird risk when you sort of think like, yeah, let's narrow it down to the best case to get as many people on board. I mean, yeah, in yeah. some circumstances it can be dirty. I mean, we're, we're rational beings. We can fucking decide think- when and where it's appropriate, but yeah. I, I think it is because I'm so sensitive to the right wing using it to um, appeal to people's emotions. And, and I also say this as someone who, like, I don't want to sound like a monster and saying I hate children. I love children. I love all my friends' children. I, do, I personally I'll would do love not to see them children. not have to deal with climate change. It would be really, it would be a real benefit to my peace of mind that they would never have to deal with these problems. Yeah, right. See, for me, the children suffering through climate change is my silver lining through the whole thing. Oh, really oh, Mitch! I'm just happy that we've got children here as an umbrella species. We can should put, a, put a photo up of the children so that we can protect old slime worm Tom McLean from the impacts of climate change. That is absolutely what we're doing. Um, I think we need to call this Jenny's Law. Um, and just be like, whenever the ministers do something, they've got to think of how it would affect Scott Morrison's daughters. <laughs> oh <laughs> we have a duty of care to Jenny. And that's what we need to keep in mind. <laughs> Fuck. I wonder if that'll happen. Oh, yeah. something close to that will come up. I fucking bet. It's just, oh, we can't do that. That would raise the cost of climate bunkers. And that might affect Scott Morrison's children. <laughs> Oh, Lang's monkey paw is just like crunching this huge thing of coal. It's just every <laughs> finger gets close. Just <laughs> oh my god! One one final little bit, just on the on the young people uh, note of that is I I noticed that we've been referring to the group of litigants as the young people this whole time, but it also included an eighty year old nun. Oh, I just want to shout out to her for just like getting in that. Who's just like, yes, I'm a young person as well. Honestly, (laughs) side note about Sister Bridget Arthur, if you've ever worked in homelessness services in the West, your listeners might have, you know she opens her doors to any kid who needs a bed. She is a a fucking angel. Fucking legend. Literally, like, works harder than anyone I've ever met in my life. She's amazing. Fuck yeah. Yeah, honorary what? young person. I'm happy to give her Absolutely that. honorary <laughs> young person. You're only as young as the people you help. Yeah, she's genuinely one of those people who I look at and just like, I'm like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? This woman is just <laughs> Oh, no, we got a podcast, Evie. Don't worry about it. Yeah, we're making a difference. Um, we're allegedly making a difference. <laughs> I, I, read a couple of, I read a couple of sentences of, of law recently, so I'm pretty smart. Um, <laughs> hell yeah, hell yeah. And, and from what I understand, is she there partly because the kids are minors and can't bring a law case? Yes. So she's what's called a litigation guardian. And if you're under 18, you need one. Um, so she's just signing the documents, but they're um, instructing. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't really it her, cool. her, and like one substitute teacher or something? I was reading. It was like one, one like cool funky teacher was like, yeah, I'll turn on with this too. I love that. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you. let's try to yeah. make a difference. Yeah, I'm very Lisa Simpson in, in that I love a substitute teacher that changes your life. <laughs> <laughs> I every time I see a Lisa episode, I feel an uncomfortable moment where I realize that I have a lot <laughs> in common. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's something that we can leverage at the podcast. Hey, everyone listening, if you're under 18, one stop. We're very rude, but if you're still listening. <laughs> <laughs> Just and you need some legal documents signed. Get in touch. We'll sign one. <laughs> 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 That's like a good thing to do. <laughs>
<laughs> Literally anything. Send it through. Not good pot at protonmail.com. Whatever. Don't buy us some alcohol. It's all Zopja. It's all good. Since Whatever. We might have duty of care, but we actually care about the future. Yeah. We've got a duty to party. Let's go. Okay. Oh now these are crimes. These are crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Look, it just hop onto the Not Good Enough website and we'll just put a bunch of JPEGs of our signatures on and you can just scan them onto whatever you need. <laughs> I can talk about Shell real quick if you promise not to riff too much. Shell real quick. Shell real quick. Okay. <laughs> so in related good news from, from real countries that matter, um, the, <laughs> the Netherlands. This is actually really cool. There's been a lot of big law cases happening against big oil companies. It makes me feel so good because it's the only thing they care about because they don't care about us. They only care about money. But the Netherlands has ordered Shell in court to reduce its emissions by 45% compared to 2019, by 2030. And Shell fucking hates it, and that's how you know it's a good decision. <laughs> because big oil companies are always being like, oh, we're going along with the Paris Agreement. Oh, we're doing our bit. <laughs> we're investing in renewables. And it's like, no. <laughs> do they do it like no, that? They do. They, they use that voice. I love your bimbify. <laughs> <laughs> Isaac fact-checking. That is that is intentionally bimbified oil companies, 100%. Oh, my God. <laughs> when oil company says we're doing our bit, they mean we're doing the bit we want to do. Um, yeah, and we're doing our bit, which yeah. is making the fossil fuels and burning them. And, and just fuck them. Just fuck them. You've heard enough from me uh, on why they're bad. I'm not going to go into it because I'll get distracted. But this is great. <laughs> Because Shell has historically been amazing at PR and at accounting tricks. Like, they sell this stuff, among other products, called carbon-neutral LNG, uh, which is liquefied natural gas. They sell carbon-neutral LNG. How do you think they do that? Any guesses how they sell carbon-neutral LNG? Because LNG is a fossil fuel. Do they do they plant a few forests? Yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, sell- is it just normal LNG with carbon credits because that's what's written in the notes? That's 100 <laughs> Don't read the notes. That's my bit. But yeah, it's normal LNG with carbon credits. For fuck's credits. sake. Fuck you me. can do that yourself. <laughs> and so basically this is saying they've got to reduce the actual emissions instead of just fucking about. And Shell hates it. <laughs> it's great because Shell's like, but reducing our climate impact in line with the Paris climate agreements would be too great a financial hit. And it's like, <laughs> so what you're saying is it's too expensive for you to go along with what the world has agreed is the minimum amount to prevent catastrophic climate change? Shell's like, but the bottom line, you live on this planet, Shell. And and this case is unique because this is the first time a judge has ordered a large polluting corporation to comply with the (laughs) Paris Agreement. Um, And that kind of goes to show one aspect of, of A, why the Paris Agreement doesn't really go far enough, and B, why corporations think that they are better than us and they're getting away with stuff that countries can't get away with. Mm. And just like with the, that Australian case, a case like this really forces a company to stand in front of people who aren't taking their shit and and shamefacedly argue through all of their bullshit while people go, yeah, but that will kill the world. And Shell goes, I am forced to agree. Yes, it will kill the world, but our profits are... They're my profits. Um, <laughs> and so what the ruling said, because Shell was like, oh, you know, but we've we've got to we've got to dig up this oil because that's our business, and the customers demand it. And and the ruling said, Royal Dutch Shell is free to decide not to make new investments in exploration of fossil fuels and to change the energy package offered by the Shell Group, such as the reduction pathways require, <laughs> aka. No one's holding a gun to your head, Shell. You can stop digging up fossil fuels anytime you want. Um, so this made me really happy. Yeah, that rules. I've seen a, a few people uh, tweeting about this, saying that basically the Dutch court went to Shell and was like, what about your personal carbon footprint, Shell? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. If we've all got to do our bit, how about Shell, who makes 1% of global emissions by themselves, uh, how about they do their bit? 
as well as actual wins in court, there's actually been some like pretty cool, like sort of financy world shareholder like stuff going on in fossil fuel corporations. Uh, this is so like shareholder action is really interesting to me because it's like one of those things where. You know, like I'm always very cynical about change from the inside, despite also being someone who loves to do a bit of change from the inside. Um, Mm -hmm. But it actually seems to be something that is working to an extent. Like four Exxon board members being kicked out for slightly greener guys by shareholders. That seems Mm. good, right? Mm. That's like incremental action. Yeah, I think think the shareholder thing is interesting because – um, depending on how you look at it, shareholders aren't on the inside. They're they're yeah, sort of okay. Yeah, you're right. They're slightly outside. They're slightly investing. They kind of want the company to do well, but they're not usually part of the power structure. Um, and for a lot of them, they may only have a. It's like being a voter almost. Mm. And and it it obviously gets a lot fiddlier. I'm not going to go into shareholder stuff because I don't understand it. Um, <laughs> but. <laughs> but if you can get shareholders who often just buy and sell a share and don't give a shit, if you can get some blocks of them together um, and find enough of them that aren't, like, soulless suits, um, yeah, you can get some stuff done. And and it's interesting to see sometimes companies really fighting back against that. Companies go, oh, well, the, the shareholders want us to do all this stuff, but we don't want to do it because that's green. And it's like, oh, that's your excuse in the past has always been, but think of the shareholders. So it's weird to see these company kind of guys kind of wanting to go against their shareholders when the shareholders want you to make less money or do more good. We have a duty of care to our shareholders, regardless of what they think. They're as stupid as children and they always want bad things. It's a bit like that. Um, there actually is an established duty of care to the shareholders. <laughs> yeah, isn't it, isn't it the case that most of the time you, they do have a duty to maximise profits for the sake of their shareholders? And if they demonstrate yes. that they could have made profits and they chose not to, then they can be held um, yeah, to account. Yes. Yeah, so kind of there is a gun to their head. Saying yeah. you you have to dig up fossil fuels, but what if the shareholders wanted otherwise? What if the shareholders said we want you to make slightly less money and be slightly more green? Well, yeah, and that's what we've seen at Exxon. It's it's, it's actually pretty sick. Yeah, um, uh, yeah uh, who knows? With all of these things, who knows how it'll actually play out? This is like you know, uh, we got some greens elected to the local council. Maybe that'll mean something great. Maybe it'll just be a bit of a fizzer. <laughs> Maybe some of them will be really horribly homophobic in public. And <laughs> but at least in the case of Exxon, four of their board members have been replaced with four new board members who are ostensibly greenies and got there to try and, and steer Exxon in a more green direction. Yeah. Um, and that's really nice. I mean- they are fossil fuel industry guys, so... <laughs> well, that's the thing. They're also now, no matter what you say about them being greenies, They're Exxon not. board members. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's about, like, someone said to me the other day, it's about setting up things for when change starts to become inevitable, right? And so even if you have slightly greener guys on a board, mm. yeah, obviously you're putting pressure on from the outside. Obviously the Australian children are kicking off in the federal court. Obviously, mm. like, all this other stuff's happening. Obviously they're not, they're not going to save the climate on their own, but maybe it's not the end of the world if they're kind of yeah. sitting there ready. These, yeah, it's these- not like, oh, we've solved it, but it's like, you know, it's a step in the sort of preparation direction for yes. things being solved. The 4X on board members are like on all fours, behind the guy who's like the main X on <laughs> board member and somebody just needs to give him a push and we're good. Like a super these- agent, yeah. These oil company ships are already <laughs> sinking. The least we can do is replace some of the rats with rats who know how to fix ships. Well, this is, this is what I always keep thinking about is like, cynically, it is just like Exxon, Shell and Chevron have so much money that they could pivot to green technology and become leaders in that. And they've just been greedy about it. And it's really sort of a myopic take. But like the changes that are happening with shareholders and stuff is because the shareholders are looking at, you know, BlackRock, Blackstone, all those different groups that are also investing in green stuff and being like, money's going away from fossil fuel guys. Let's go. And these- these board members are taking too long 
And so, I don't know, part of it for me is just sort of like, uh, capitalism may fix climate change in the worst way possible. Don't say that, Mitch. Don't you say that. (laughs) Sorry, I'm channeling Lang. His spirit's now leaving my body. Oh, what did I say? (laughs) You defend capitalism. 12.06pm, Mitch was cancelled. What what bad ideas did I give the worst people on earth? It really is a sense, though, like, of, you know, when you have a slightly greener fossil fuel guy on a board, it is someone who is correctly seeing how the wind is changing. So, yes, it is also yeah. partly for cynical reasons. But you know what? If you can influence hearts and minds that way, that is a good start. Yeah. Think of the children, yeah. greener shareholders. I don't give a fuck. Can we fix <laughs> fucking- We know what to do. We know how much it'll cost. Please fix fucking climate change. <laughs> There's also been a similar sort of move at Chevron uh, this week. So, Exxon got new greenier board members. Um, Chevron- I'm not sure what the sort of state of their board is, but this maybe is a bit more of a podcast-aligned kind of development where uh, the shareholders, just as part of a voting block, um, pushed through a a climate proposal to reduce emissions from Chevron, but also as part of that, put like a video together and the board had to watch that video and the video was just a bunch of different shareholder activists saying, you're not good enough, you're doing a really bad job the, the the like actually addressing pollution is important and you keep saying that you're trying to do that but you're clearly not doing it and this is a bunch of bullshit chevron is facing a 9.5 billion liability for pollution in ecuador has spent 2 billion on legal moves but only 30 million on cleanup our shared enemy is pollution not human rights lawyers the afflicted people or the advocates you know regardless of uh whether this will actually slow climate change at the very least we got some fossil fuel board members to sit through an excruciating couple minutes of people <laughs> telling them there are a pack of bastards to their faces. So I, I love nice. that. That's lovely. Shame them. Shame. One of the one of the bits in the um in the video is someone just directly down the camera being like, You've spent two billion dollars on legal moves about this horrible oil spill, but only thirty million dollars on the cleanup. And they just, and just yeah. they they just had to look at it as the shareholders were like, "This is you. This is bad." Oh damn! <laughs> but unfortunately, they're all horrible lizard folk that don't care, and so they slept very well that night, mm. <laughs> which is unfortunate. But you know, it felt good for the shareholders. <laughs> You're fucking they're fucking board members and CEOs of Chevron. They don't give a shit. Yeah, they don't care. Yeah. Cold-blooded people. They've just got fucking black ooze and coal where their organs should be. They don't give a shit. Not to speculate on, like, the actual human status of a board member of Chevron. <laughs> um, but, like, a lot of people who work in fossil fuel of a certain age are, like, people who have historically worked in this inst- industry for a long time. And it definitely, like, gets to the point where you looked at their LinkedIn page of who they're the board mm. of that you really get to the point of like, damn, this person's professionally evil. This person really just made a life out of doing this. Yeah, personally, you might be you might be an angel. Professionally, yeah. Satan. <laughs> yeah. but, but think of those lizard babies. They need a warm climate to lay their eggs in. <laughs> oh, no, this is it. David Icke's been right this whole time. This is why it's happening. <laughs> just to get a bit existential for a moment. I know I know like all of us sort of make our own compromises to live in a society, you know. I, I get very frustrated a lot of the time when people who f- are starting to feel that powerlessness start striking out at everyone just who's either side of mm. them who may have a little bit more income either way just to sort of cuz that's when you're in a difficult situation, you look at even people who are on your side who are, you know, a certain income level and just be like, but you're not really a comrade of mine. Like you have to like focus on the bigger picture of people who have spent their lives doing this kind of stuff, like working in fossil fuels. Yeah. That's Controlling the, the systems. Yeah. Um, absolutely. It's, it's individuals are, are almost never the problem. Weird yes. way for Evie to declare on the pod that she's just been made a board member of a very small fossil fuel company. <laughs> just, just, a, just a startup. <laughs> Like, yeah. <laughs> Cold startup. <laughs> I'll promote some Instagram infographics about my startup fuel company. <laughs> yeah, we manufacture coal lumps for politicians to use as props. <laughs> hey guys, I, I bought this really cheap fixer up a coal power plant in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's it going, Lang? Uh, I just not feel great. Like, I just feel like you guys once again hate to see a girl boss winning. So. <laughs> We do, we do. It's Susan, <laughs> it's Susan Lee, and I hate to see her win. 
Lang, tell us about your power plant. <laughs> you probably heard last podcast uh, when I said maybe a coal power plant will catch fire and then my monkey paw curled. And then <laughs> later that day, the Collide Sea coal power plant <laughs> in Queensland violently exploded. Lang, your power. It's incredible. It's incredible. But it's, it's I not, love it's, that you use the monkey's paw as an example. The monkey's paw when your wish goes bad, but you're like, I wish that a coal power plant would catch fire. And then, oh, how could I have foreseen? <laughs> it exploded. <laughs> That's not what I... I've got to be more careful about my wording next time. But I'm, I'm not psychic. It's like predicting bad weather in Melbourne. And <laughs> we can laugh about this because nobody was hurt. A coal power plant Hooray. was very, very hurt, and that's good. <laughs> but no actual humans. Just some lizards, maybe. Um, so, yeah, this, oh. this coal power plant, one of the turbines, exploded, sending turbine parts hundreds of metres. Um, this thing is going to be out of action for an extended period of time, um, which sucks because it made electricity a lot of people need. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, how are those renewable fossil fuels going? Well, uh, really well, yeah, because yeah, they've picked re- up the slack when this coal power plant's been down. Well, and, yeah, because yeah, and to the point where the because this this coal power plant exploded, and all across the state, people had blackouts for you know about two hours at the small end of the scale for a quite a while in the worst case scenarios. But there's been reporting showing that the people that had like solar panels hooked up to batteries didn't even notice. <laughs> they just sailed through the entire thing completely unaware. That rules. If you've got a good enough system, and this this is what renewables are good for. They're decentralized. Like if if your solar panel explodes, which it never would cuz that doesn't happen. If your solar panel explodes, like your neighbor doesn't give a shit cuz he's got his own solar panel or the people in the next town over have their own battery system or wind turbines or bioenergy or whatever. Yeah. Um, whereas if you have the whole state running on a single coal power plant. And this is the other thing. This isn't even an old coal power plant. This thing was built in 2001. It's one of the newest <laughs> coal power plants we have. It was overhauled in 2017 for 50 million. And then again last year for another 60 million. And it still exploded. Wait, 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 wait. So I just made a joke about, you know, my startup fossil fuel thing. This is literally a startup fossil fuel. <laughs> it's not a startup, it's a giant multi-million dollar. Brand thing. new. Nobody asked for it in 2001 and here we are. Yeah. This fossil fuel coal plant's so young that it bloody sister Bridget Arthur's looking out for it. <laughs> oh my god. Fucking hell. We have a duty of care for this baby coal power plant. Get her name out of your mouth. <laughs> and so um, so all of the usual lizard people have come out. Matt Canavan is like, oh, how are all amazing. the renewables going now? They don't have so much coal to back them up. And I'm like, Matt Canavan, it was your power source that exploded. Like... It's incredible. A coal power plant explodes and he just goes, huh, renewables? With like, It's the exact same energy of when people show like um, desolate aisles in supermarkets or huge big long lines for water. And oh, they're like, yes. oh, that's that's what happens under socialism. It's, like, it's happening now <laughs> under capitalism. Might what just the fuck? Remind listeners of Matt Canavan, my favourite um, loose poly like profile picture that's on Twitter um, with him <laughs> cosplaying as a coal miner with, like, coal yeah. smudges all over his face when he's talking about how, go- like, coal is good. It's just extremely funny. Yeah. He just loves kissing it. He loves to kiss the coal. <laughs> so this is, just, this is just, just a cool thing that's happened, and you should all remember the day the Collide Sea Coal Power Plant in Queensland blew up in a very embarrassing fashion. <laughs> I love it embarrassing. Like, did it do it with, like, a fart sound effect? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Was it crush it watching? It exploded and there was just bump, 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 bump. Whoops, a daisy. If anyone managed to get footage of the Collide Sea power plant exploded, send it on into the pod. I'll edit in some fart sound effects. It'll be amazing. <laughs> so, a shout out to 3CR Community Radio here in Nam. Um, um, the best community radio station in town, obviously. They are having their radiothon starting in a couple of weeks. 3CR literally relies on donations to keep the lights on in the building and to keep 24-7 content coming. A lot of our listeners are people who live alone um, or who don't have other people around them at all times, and they really rely on 3CR for news and community and support. 
open your wallets. Donate, donate, donate. Keep those lights on. Hell yeah. Tuesday breakfast, yeah. is um, which I'm on on 3CR, um, is going to be fundraising as well as part of the Radiothon. So I'll be plugging that quite a bit in the next few weeks. Woohoo. Hell yeah. Oh, actually, I did a, an interview for 3CR. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, with Carly. But I'm not sure when it's going to be on. So, you know, just keep listening to 3CR and you might hear me. <laughs> no, we don't have an exact time for the interview, um, but the interviews are going to air on the 4th and 7th of June on 3CR. When can I say yeah. she said that was one of the best interviews she's ever done and she thinks you are so, so great at what you do. Oh, she was all full you, of Carly. praise yesterday. Well, look, I'm always happy to do more interviews. I enjoy talking and if people enjoy hearing me talk, that is a bonus. Thanks again for listening to Not Good Enough. You can get in touch with us on all the socials at notgoodpod or email us at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. If you have any clarifications or corrections for anything Lauren said, send it to us and we absolutely will not send it through. Yeah, no, we're a shield. <laughs> we are a protective that, wall around Lauren. We are that soldier with the knives and the bullets and the bombs hitting him. Ah, <laughs> uh, my war heroes. I won't have any degenerates talking or even looking at Lauren. <laughs> Thank you all so much. Like, Actions this week. Be like nice to Lauren. <laughs> Uh, thanks for coming on. Cool. We said thanks for coming on. It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lauren. Save the thanks for coming on until we've done the tag out and everything. It's lovely <laughs> to have you. Thanks for your expertise. Thanks, Apes. Great. It's always Great. a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.